gotta grab my guitar. I always come and grab it during the prayer. <laughs> All right. Good morning and uh, Merry Christmas. This is the second week of Advent. Um, actually, it's third for us, but like I said last week, don't tell the Advent police we added one this year. So it's what we do. I um, want to thank you for being here this morning, especially if you're visiting. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church. And if you are visiting, we'd love to know that you are here. And the Connect card that's right in front of you in the pocket, uh, right in front of you on the chair, is a great place for us to get to meet you a little bit. You can fill that out. Uh, please fill in any prayer question you might have, and you can put that in the information box or at our information, or excuse me, the offering box or information table on your way out. We'd love to get to know you. A few other quick announcements. Probably the most important is for many, many years, we've been uh, doing something called The City, which is an online platform for us to have some community, share information with each other, um, do different things like that over the internet, the World Wide Web. Uh, what else is it called? I don't know. The interweb uh, that Al Gore invented. Um, we would love for you to forget about the city. Not totally yet, but we're moving to something called CCB. It's short for Church Community Builder. Um, we gave you, hopefully, a card on the way in that describes what this is all about. But we're going to be switching over. And it's very important that we do this um, in, a, in a good way over the next couple months so that we make sure we get everyone's information transferred from one database to the next. Uh, so we would love for you to read the card that you got. But we also want to, for you, once you get on to Church Community Builder, there'll be some information already in there. We just want to make sure that it matches, that your spouse and you match, your kids match unless you want some other kids, and then you can do like an exchange, um, like a Christmas cookie exchange or something. But um, we'd love for you to make sure that the information is correct on that. Uh, there is information on how to join. You go to newcity.ccbchurch.com, click sign up, enter your name, email, phone number. Um, you'll receive an email that uh, will tell you to activate something. Click the activate and then create a new word, uh, password login, and you can watch a short intro video. Um, probably going to be some questions. Um, I know some of you have giving uh, that is currently on the city, and we're uh, going to be working to try and seamlessly as possible transfer that over. What did you want me to say about the giving? The giving statements for 2017 will be on CCB, not on the city. So just keep that in mind as you get ready for taxes um, next year. Speaking of financial issues, I wanted to also mention that we have three uh, high school students. Uh, all of them go to Valor Christian High School, and they're going to be going on some discovery trips for their spring break time or in the spring. Uh, I think maybe one of those might be a little bit later than the spring, but they're going to be going on some trips this next spring, maybe early summer. And we'd love for you to go visit with them. They're out at a table out here uh, in our lobby. Uh, two of them are my children, just for full disclosure, uh, Hunter and Ava. And then we also have Jack Billman. Jack, I believe, is going to Nicaragua. Is that right, Jack? Guatemala. Guatemala. Oh, I thought it said Nicaragua. Guatemala, which has great coffee, Jack. Do you drink coffee? No. Okay, good. <laughs> um, Guatemala, and that's going to be kind of an immersion trip and doing some service projects as well as uh, uh, some immersion in the Spanish language and helping out in that area. And then uh, Hunter and Ava Carlson will be going to Haiti. Uh, they'll be going for about a week or so um, over spring break, and they'll be uh, building a house, serving at an orphanage, and doing some other great things. So 
They're going to be raising money for those trips, and we'd love, as I said, for you to visit the table out there today and uh, consider contributing to that. They've got to raise, I think, anywhere from about eight to $10,000 cumulatively altogether. Um, so, so a lot of money to raise, and we're going to be having these announcements uh, over the next couple months. But please visit that table, and if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love for you to do that. Um, the kids are singing next week, which is going to be really cute, so bring your video cameras. And we're going to have some cookies as well for, for uh, needed, I guess, for next week as well. Um, lots of other stuff going on. Please read the weekly, which is this right here on your way in every week so you know what's going on in our church. All right, we're going to get into some scripture. I would love for you to stand with me as I read Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15, which is the bulk of our text this morning. Um, we'll be jumping around a little bit, but we'll be in that most of the morning. This is the Word of God. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for um, this season. It's a, a great time of year, obviously, to enjoy family and friends and to enjoy all that comes with the holidays and, and Christmas in particular. Um, we sometimes forget that this is not only a celebration of your first coming, but it's a celebration of your second coming that we look forward to. Um, we sometimes can get a little bit uh, impatient. We can get uh, hurried. We can get uh, a lack of perspective on what you were doing in the world and we can make it about us. So I pray that, God, today you would uh, open up our hearts and our minds to understand that you're in control of time, that you're in control of your plan, and that it is a perfect plan that will be executed exactly as you want it to be. Help us to trust. I know that many are struggling with illness. Many might be struggling with financial issues, relationship issues. I, I pray for those that are sick that they would be healed by your power. And according to your will, I pray that you would uh, walk before them and give them your peace. I pray that for us who struggle during this time because of family relationships that are difficult, that we would seek to repent and believe in the power of the gospel to transform our heart and the hearts of others. I pray that these uh, words that are spoken today about your word would be pleasing to you, glorifying to you. And that all of the thoughts and meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. 
So, um, here's a few of my staple Christmas movies, okay? I was going to ask for people to shout out, like, what their favorite Christmas movies were. Uh, I thought I would get bad so I said, no, I'm not going to ask for those. Um, hopefully, your staple Christmas movies have nothing to do with Chevy Chase, okay? There's other ones that might be a little bit better. Here's, here's my list, okay? It's, it's very short. Uh, a Christmas Carol, obviously, right? That's a good one. It's a Wonderful Life. And, and of course, that wonderful Christmas movie, Rudy. <laughs> I had to throw that in there, right? I had to get a football one in there. Now, I found out uh, recently that Christmas Carol is actually a book, not just a movie. That's, that's a good thing to know. Um, and, and I really like the story. It's an amazing story, and it has a, a lot of rich meaning in it. And I think it's a little bit of a parable uh, about some of the things that we struggle with, maybe especially during this time of year, or especially thinking about Jesus and his return to the planet. There's two main characters for me in the movie, The Christmas Carol. There is Ebenezer Scrooge, and I would call him the scoffer, the scoffer. Um, That's to put it politely. The guy has an attitude problem, right? Uh, before he meets the three ghosts of Christmas. And one of the reasons why I think Ebenezer Scrooge is the way he is, is because he is a godless nihilist. And I tend to think of things in these more theological or philosophical ways. Um, He has forgotten that there's a God. He's forgotten that there is something outside of himself, and he acts in a way that he is a scoffer, especially about Christmas and what it represents. And then There is Bob Cratchit, who is his employee, who seems to be a hopeful one, but he has to put up with this nihilist, Ebenezer Scrooge, obviously before there is change, and we'll talk about uh, what brings about the change in the human heart here as we go along, but uh, uh, Bob Cratchit to me represents someone who is hopeful in that there is something outside of himself, and hopeful that there is something bigger than just himself. Now, I want you to think of those two characters, and I think uh, want you to think specifically about what your level of Ebenezer Scroogeness is. Okay, um, are you from one to ten an eight on the scoffing scale, or maybe a little bit lower? Hopefully not at all. But we're going to talk about a little a little bit about scoffers today. And this story, A Christmas Carol, is initially, uh, I believe in a story about what you become when you dismiss God from the picture. Now this passage that we're looking at, I'm going to quickly go back to verse 3, because in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Second Peter, it talks about that there will be scoffers who will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Now if you look at the word scoffer, It means something. Words mean things, right? And that's why we read the text, and that's why we try to understand what those words mean. A scoffer, biblically, or the word itself, means two things. It means someone who mocks, or a mocker, and it's someone who is also a false teacher. Now, I thought that was interesting, because a scoffer is someone who mocks something, but it's also a person who is teaching something that is false, and it says in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Second Peter that scoffers follow their own sinful desires. Scoffers follow their own sinful desires. 
These are people who are without Christ, and all of us without Christ would all be scoffing, especially at this promise of him coming again. We all have that temptation. We all without Christ would scoff at Jesus coming again. We scoff at anything having to do with religion or the gospel or theology because our hearts are prone to be that way. We have a sinful desire to not believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people argue with me with that, and I would just say that I have Bible verses that prove that point, so we can argue about it, but I'm going to throw some verses at you that are going to convince you that our sinful desire, our heart, is prone to not believe in Jesus and his good news, that he came to earth to save us, redeem us, and restore us from our sin. Now, Christmas uh, can become this time for us. I know a lot of people who struggle a lot during this time of year. They've had loved ones die. They've had relationships break up. They've experienced illness themselves. And Christmas for them has become an exclamation point on their time to scoff, to mock, and to become, the way, by the way they live, a false teacher, a person who doesn't believe that Christ is who he is, doesn't understand that Christ is in control, and has, in a way, turned from him and is scoffing at the whole reality of the gospel. Now, if that is you, and when I say you, there's three fingers pointing back at me. I think that's right. Yes. Um, I, I need gospel hope. I can become a scoffer at times. And as we look at this passage, I think there's three teachings for those of us who struggle, not just with this season, but we scoff, we doubt, we mock, and become in the way we live a false teacher about the reality of Christ. There's three teachings in this passage for those of us who struggle with that. And first is this. Jesus has perfect timing, and we do not. Okay? Jesus has perfect timing, and we do not. Uh, My daughter was in the state championship cheer competition just last night. And I don't know if you've watched this cheer competition. How, how many of you have been like to legit cheer competition before? Okay, you need to go. Because it isn't just like palms, you know, flashing like that. They're throwing people up in the air, okay? And they're tumbling in the air and they're doing these, you know, hand holds where they got one hold and, and if they miss their timing by just one little bit, it causes that person to fall or for points to be deducted because they didn't do it exactly in the right timing that they have. But even as precise as that cheer team was, and by the way, they won the state championship last night. Good job, Ava. little commercial. Um, even as precise in their timing as they are, they're not perfect. Uh, even as much work as goes into that routine and that competition, it isn't uh, perfect. It never can be perfect because in, human, uh, in our humanity, we do not have perfect timing. We are fallible. Now, that to me sends people in two different directions. Number one, they get despairing about that. And that's actually a good place to be because when you're in despair, you start looking for hope. And hopefully you find that hope in Jesus Christ. Or people deny that they don't have perfect timing or that they're in control. And in their denial, they set themselves up for a great disappointment and great disaster because Jesus has perfect timing and we do not. 
In the first seven verses of this chapter, I'm not going to read them or go into them in detail, but Peter is addressing a concern to the people he's writing this letter to. He's saying uh, to the people who are nervous that Jesus may not be coming back, okay? Now, think of that. They're in the first century, obviously, of the church being uh, grown by the power of the Spirit, by, by the message of the gospel, and these folks are living in some difficult times. They're being persecuted. There's destruction all around them. People are getting killed and tortured. And the gospel is experiencing, and the people of the gospel are experiencing great persecution. And Peter reminds them that Jesus is coming back again because God said so, and he doesn't lie. God said so, and he doesn't lie. Now, it's easy to scoff and to listen to other scoffers, because we're all a little that way, it's easy to listen to them because life can get difficult and you can begin to question, is Jesus here and is he really coming again? Like, is he, is he around me? Is he working through me? Is, is he in my life? Is he guiding my, my uh, decisions and, and helping me through my difficulties in life? And we become... Uh, doubtful and we begin to question and it becomes easy to scoff and it becomes easy uh, even easier to listen to scoffers and, and this is why i think it's easy for us it's because scoffers forget that the creator made everything and it even says this in this passage the creator who made everything sent a flood to destroy once and it says in this passage he will completely destroy again You've heard the line at work, past performance predicts future results. Okay, Jesus destroyed the earth by the flood and destroyed sin and judged sin by the flood. We, we learn about that in the book of Genesis. But it's also promised that he's going to come back and he's going to dissolve everything. We'll talk a little bit about that word. That's a fun one. So Peter tells them, hey, don't forget, there is a creator who made everything and who used everything he created to judge and he will one day come back again. And then he says, don't overlook this fact. Jesus' timing is Jesus' timing. He says a thousand years is as if a day, a day is as if a thousand years. That is Jesus' prerogative. You don't get a vote on how Jesus perfectly runs the cosmos and the timing of his return. One day is a thousand years. A thousand years is as one day. Now, for some people, when they hear that, it makes them angry. How many times have you, come on, be honest, don't raise your hands, to yourself, how many times have you been angry with God because his timing wasn't your timing? He didn't do what you wanted him to do when you wanted him to do it. And Peter's response to that is, I know you're angry, but remember with God, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Think about it for a moment. When you get angry at something like that, where does that anger come from? Ecclesiastes has a really interesting way to talk to you about your life. It says that your life on the planet is a vapor. Um, that means it's not going to seem like it lasts long. And this passage, in contrast to that, says Jesus is eternal. Okay? There's, there's a, a paradox. There's a, a conflict there with the way we think and the way we live our life, that this is the whole world and the universe and I'm in control. And Ecclesiastes says, no, your life is a vapor. 
Jesus is eternal. And Peter says, you might not like, by the way, what you're wishing for. Because these people are saying, hey man, when is Jesus coming again? My friends are getting killed. I might go to prison. Nobody likes me at work anymore because I'm talking about this guy Jesus. I want Jesus to return. He said he would. Where is it going to happen? Or when's it going to happen? And Peter says, hold on. Jesus' timing is not your timing. And you might not like what you're wishing for because of this. Jesus' return to the earth is rooted in his patience. Two things. He doesn't wish that any should perish and that all should reach repentance. Jesus isn't coming again because he wants more people to avoid eternal judgment and know him and repent and follow him and he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants them to have a a repentant mind, a metanoia, that's the Greek word for repentance, a metanoia mind. He wants them to change their mind and to turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, we want him to come and we get upset when he doesn't, but we don't think of the consequences of his coming. Like, as I've gotten older, this has been less emotional for me, and I need to return to the desperation of understanding this fact. Here it is. We don't think of the consequences of his coming. These are the consequences of his coming. Many will be lost forever without ever having another opportunity to repent. Your friends, your family, 97% That's a rough estimate of some research that's been done. 97% of our city might not know Jesus. Of course, we don't know. I don't know. You don't know. Only Jesus knows who his followers are, who his elect are. But all of those people, lots and lots of people, if we understand the consequences of his coming correctly, will be lost forever and will never have another opportunity to change their mind and turn back to Jesus as Lord and Savior. I have overlooked this fact many times in my life, and it has led to selfish scoffing and distrust. It's led to an exposure of my heart that is selfish, that the gospel is just for me, and that attitude places me in the center of my life and not Christ. And I got to say, when Christ is not at the center of your life, you have issues. You got problems. Even if you're a follower, but you refuse to bow the knee to his leadership in your life, uh, the question that I normally ask in these counseling sessions is, how is that working out for you? For me, not so well. It exposes a selfish heart that the gospel is just for me, And that attitude places me in the center of my life and not Christ. There's another teaching for us scoffers that Jesus still gives holiness and godliness. Verses 11 through 13. It says uh, near the beginning of this passage, since all things are thus to be dissolved, (laughs) you have to do something for me. This year, this coming year, Read Ecclesiastes at least twice. 
Read Ecclesiastes at least twice. And then read Job at least once. Uh, The reason I say that is, is because we think that everything that we do and are about and the kingdom that we've built is going to reign forever and ever. Like, I put up Christmas lights on my house. And I don't think I overdo it, okay? But some people, you know, have said, hey, you've overdone it a little bit. And every time I drive in at night and I see those Christmas lights lit, lighting up my house, I'm pretty proud of that. And I think to myself, those lights might rain forever and ever. Just like that. It's so beautiful. Little colors, little, you know, white lights. Everything is beautiful. Uh, I got some fake little tree, LED trees. I even have stars on the eaves of my house that blink, and I'm pretty proud of it. It's, it's pretty amazing. And then I read books like Ecclesiastes, and I think not only of my Christmas lights, but I think of a lot of the stuff in my life that I strain for, I live for, I pursue. It, it, most of it, most of what we are living for is going to be, and this is what it says here, dissolved vaporized. Star Wars is coming out pretty soon, right? It's going to be a lot of vaporizing. Okay? Nothing left. When you, uh, it says in the Gospels, Jesus says that when you store up treasures for yourself on this earth, and by treasures it could mean money, it could also mean uh, your reputation, it could also mean um, some sort of achievement that you think justifies who you are if it's not done for the lord vaporized wow scoffers should remember this because your petty troubles will be vaporized okay so ecclesiastes tells us your life is vapor and because of that your troubles as bad as they are And believe me, I don't make any light of some of the troubles some of y'all are having, okay? They're they're desperate. You've got an illness that could take your life. You've got a situation financially that could totally ruin uh, uh, many, many things in your life for many, many years to come. I get it. But scoffers need to remember, instead of scoffing that Jesus doesn't care, he's not coming again, it's not true, Just remember, followers of Christ who are tempted to scoff, your petty troubles will be vaporized. Your selfish pursuits will be exposed. Like when Jesus comes again, the things that weren't done for His glory and for His fame, those things are going to be exposed. And this is what's really important. Your desire to rule your life will be overthrown. You can't do it well. You've tried. I've tried. We've tried to sit on the throne of our life and guide all of our things and keep them under control. And we've tried to play God in our lives. But your desire to do that, when Jesus comes again, that will be overthrown. Now, Peter, and Scripture always does this, it gives us an alternative. And he says, the alternative to that... um, All of that stuff being dissolved is a way to live. This is the alternative. Instead of that, being a scoffer 
and having all the stuff that you're concerned about be vaporized and dissolved and overthrown, here's the alternative. Two words. Holiness and godliness. I've got to talk about these because some of you are starting to say to yourself, oh man, this is where I've got to get my behavior modification in order. Please, don't try to behavior modify. It will be a disaster. Okay, so let's look at what these two words mean and then we'll talk about how you uh, have those in your life. Holiness. Holiness. I think of it this way. What is whole? Like W-H-O-L-E. How do you live a whole life? Okay, some people believe you go to Whole Foods and you buy organic beef and super duper vitamins and that will give you a whole life. It may help you physically, okay? And I need all the help I can get, okay? I got an arthritic hip and knee right now that's really bugging me, but that's not all that wholeness is. Holiness, wholeness is living in the way you were created to live prior to the fall of Adam, prior to sin entering this world, prior to you sinning, prior to all the mess that that creates. It's living in the exact way that God created you to live. Now, a loving Father who created you wants you to live in the best way possible. That is wholeness or holiness, the way it is supposed to be. The word literally means whole, dedicated, or consecrated. A life dedicated to Jesus and living in his kingdom. That's the best way to live. Now, many times people say, well, I don't want to get to that yet because i got a lot of fun things to do. And they're not holy. Okay, I'm going to do those things first and then I will get to the holiness part. And the, this, is the, this is the deception of sin. You think that those things are going to help you, satisfy you, make you whole, and they destroy you. It's a lie. Being dedicated, consecrated, whole, uh, uh, wholly devoted to Jesus and the way he said we should live in his kingdom is the greatest peace and joy your heart will ever experience. What about godliness? Godliness uh, literally means ba- basically two words, piety. Now, does that not remind you of the pilgrims? The black hats, black coats, white shirt, piety. Can I tell you something about the pilgrims? They were some of the most joyful people that have ever walked on the planet. The Puritans, if you haven't read about the Puritans and the pilgrims, you need to pick up, start with John Bunyan's book, pilgrim's progress it it will show you how people as a collective church lived in in holiness and godliness but we think about piety and we think oh my goodness um i've got to wear the black hat and the black coat and the white shirt and i got to have a bible that's bigger than my firstborn for me my firstborn was 11 and a half pounds so that would be a 12 pound bible okay and i have to walk around you know, looking down my nose because I am pious. Folks, piety is more along the lines of what I would say the second word that describes godliness. It's worship. It's 24-7 worship. Piety isn't 
behavior modification. Piety is a worship that flows out of a transformed heart that wants to be whole and that wants to love, serve, and follow Jesus because of what he's done for you on the cross. That is piety. That is worship. See, sometimes obedience is obligatory, is something that seems like, man, this isn't fun, i got to obey. But many times obedience should be out of the overflow of your heart because Jesus has rescued you from the deception and destruction of sin. That, that is worship. And that is when God gets his glory, and that's why you were created uh, to live on this planet, is to worship him, to be godly forever and ever, to serve him and give him glory. Now, why does Peter say that that is the alternative? And he mentions it here in the passage, I'll summarize. He says that because that is the way it's going to be in the visible kingdom, when Jesus returns again and you see him, and he's on the throne, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, and we're experiencing him like in, in vivid detail forever and ever and ever. That's the way it's going to be. You're going to live in holiness and godliness. You'll be made whole, and you'll want to worship God forever and ever and ever. Now, some of us, hopefully not many, but some have just said, I can't do it. Okay, you can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, you're right, you can't do it. No, you don't understand, I can't do it. No, I do understand, because I can't do it. I have never been able in myself, in my flesh, in my own power, been able to live in holiness and godliness. Now Jesus knows this, and he sends his Holy Spirit to empower and direct my living in godliness and holiness. Now, how do you appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit to cause you to live in wholeness, holiness and godliness? It's what Luther said, Martin Luther, repentance and belief. See, scoffers, people who mock and live in a way that is a false sense of teaching what the gospel is about, They think that they get saved, and then from that point on, when Jesus regenerates their heart, gives them a new life, from that point on, they become a new creation. Now I've got to get serious. I've got to get out my Excel uh, spreadsheet of morality, and I've got to start doing these things. And that's why they become scoffers. See, followers of Jesus Christ live in an understanding like King David, who is the greatest example of this in in all of Scripture, I believe, they live in a state of repentance and belief. They know, like Paul, I can't achieve holiness and godliness on my own. I have sinned just today. I won't tell you I sinned today, but I sinned today. You sinned today. We're going to sin tomorrow. We'll probably sin the day after that until Jesus makes us perfect We will struggle with this body of flesh and this desire to rebel and this desire to sin. And Jesus says, when that happens, change your mind. Don't change your mind to the point where you think through your flesh you will correct yourself and perfect yourself. 
Change your mind in knowing I'm weak and I am in need of a Savior. I am weak and I am in need of the forgiveness and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And then believe that His promise to fill you and empower you and direct you is real. That, my friends, is living in grace. That is where we are supposed to live. We get to a point, uh, excuse me, some of us can get to a point as scoffers where we believe there is no more forgiveness available, that God's mercy has run out. We get to the gospel. And let me tell you, on this planet, until Jesus returns, kingdom living is rooted in repentance and belief. Final teaching of this passage. And this is related to what I just spoke about. Jesus can change our scoffing hearts. Whoo, man, I, I can see sometimes a very like dark tunnel that every Christian, no matter who you are, you can go down this path. You can go down the path of scoffing and bitterness and misery and despair. And you know Jesus, but you can still go. Why? Because nothing seems to go right. When is Jesus going to save my best friend who I know if if he doesn't come to Christ, he's going to spend eternity separated from him? When is Jesus going to come back and, and bring justice, true justice to the planet? Jesus can change your scoffing heart. And maybe this Advent season, uh, he wants to do that. And I'll tell you how he does it. Number one, he fixes your broken perspective. So Peter lays in and speaks about all these things. And in verse uh, 14, he uses the word therefore. And when you see that word therefore, you need to know why it's therefore. Or something like that. That's a seminary thing. And I think I butchered it. Um, But I butchered seminary sometimes too, so that makes sense. Um, therefore is there for a reason. I think I said it right that time. Jesus will fulfill his promises. He is patient so that people will be saved and repent and believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. And we can live holy and godly lives by his power through the Holy Spirit, in the meantime. If you're scoffing, if you're mocking and living as if you're a false teacher telling the world that Jesus isn't real, I'm starting to doubt this whole thing is true. It could be because your perspective is broken and it needs to be fixed. Your perspective should be Jesus will fulfill His promises. He is patient so people will be saved and repent. And we can live holy and godly lives by His power in the meantime. So Peter then says, because of that, the proper perspective and understanding of the reality and truth of Jesus, be diligent. Uh Uh-oh. Be diligent. Mm. This is an interesting word. This word, I I gotta say, it could be one of my favorite and least favorite words in the Bible at the same time. I want to be diligent. Many times I'm not. This is what the word means. Work hard. 
work quickly, and work eagerly. Work hard, work quickly, and work eagerly to be found without spot or blemish. In the context of this passage, Peter is telling these folks, hey, Jesus is going to fulfill his promises. You don't need to doubt. Be patient because Jesus is being patient so that many people will be saved. You can live holy and godly lives. It's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. So because of that, work hard, work quickly, work eagerly to be found without spot or blemish. What does spot and blemish mean? It means this. Be doctrinally and morally pure. Now, this is what's interesting. Don't try to do that. That is a natural result of a changed heart who trusts that Christ is going to fulfill his promises. He is patient, wanting that many be saved and that we can live holy and godly lives. When our heart is changed, we're not scoffing anymore. We're not giving up. We're going to be found without spot or blemish as we work hard, quickly, and eagerly towards doctrinal and moral purity. By the way, those two things go hand in hand. Many times when I go to churches, and I've gone to some, when I go to churches that are beginning to embrace things like it's like, whoa, either I took the red pill or they took a red pill, but someone is very confused about very clear things in Scripture. Many times where they're endorsing things they shouldn't be endorsing because they're sinful, they're destructive, they're tearing lives apart, they're going to eventually and eternally destroy people. It's because there is no doctrinal soundness. Those two things go hand in hand. Doctrinal soundness and moral purity. Application. Read your Bible and by the power of the Holy Spirit, obey it. And then read your Bible and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, obey it. And then read your Bible and by the power of the Holy Spirit, obey it. And then sometime in there, go tell other people the Bible, proclaim to them the gospel, and teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Because, by the way, that is the great commission that we have been called to. His patience, Jesus' patience in coming back and our scoffing at it, but His patience is our window of opportunity to proclaim the gospel with our words and with our life so that many would repent and believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And as you come to the communion table today, ponder this question. What would it look like if Christians lived in that reality of repentance and belief, reading God's Word and obeying it by the power of the Holy Spirit and then doing that over and over again and then proclaiming the Gospel to the many people who've never heard about Jesus. Uh, We have people going out onto the streets telling others about Christ and every time the story comes back, this person seemed as if they had never heard anybody clearly tell them what Jesus had done for them on the cross and why they needed Him as Lord and Savior. Sometimes we can't even get there because we're too busy scoffing. And this is what I, as a pastor, in my very shepherdy way, (laughs) would say. 
There's no excuse. There's no excuse for scoffing except for the fact that your heart wants to do it. It isn't because of the circumstances out there. You've allowed those circumstances to twist, contort, and deceive your heart into believing that Jesus is who he, uh, or isn't who he said he is. And I don't think maybe he's coming again or he even cares. And today, like that, you can be transformed. You can come to this table and you can take the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. You can dip it in the wine or the juice representing the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And your months, years, decades maybe of scoffing can be transformed. Jesus will do that for you. Plead with Him. Repent. Change your mind about what is real and what is not. And come to this table if you're a follower of Christ to receive His communion. Let's pray. Father, I know in, uh, in our lives, sometimes we need a supernatural healing, a supernatural touch, a supernatural move of Your Holy Spirit to change our hearts from being scoffers, unbelievers, disbelievers, those who don't trust, to change our hearts to trust You to remember that you're all-powerful, to remember that you and you alone can give us joy and peace, that our holiness and our godliness is a direct result of our hearts being changed by you and the Holy Spirit guiding and empowering us to repent and believe. I want many others to know. I confess many times that I want you to come now because the gospel has become all about me, my salvation, my comfort, my convenience. Convict me and convict us all that maybe we're here and maybe you haven't come back because you want others to repent, to believe, and to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Send us out with that Christmas joy and with that Christmas message this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.